Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. Uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. The Bible says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Spirit of the Lord is here this morning. So freedom reigns in this place, as that song says. Showers of mercy and grace fallen on every face, there is freedom. Praise God. That's our theme this week. There's freedom here because the Spirit of the Lord is here, right? So the title of this morning's message is Freedom in Christ. We've got a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, and also we're going to look at a few scriptures in the book of Galatians, chapter 3 and chapter 5. So Lord, open up your word to us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to this church. We need greater revelation. We need, we need greater understanding, Lord. We get bogged down in little things that have no eternal benefit, no eternal consequence, and it's just the enemy's attempt to distract us from what we really need to be focusing on. As we look around at the world today, Lord, we see chaos and division and confusion, a lot of confusion, but you're not a God of confusion, so we pray, Father, give us clarity this morning. Give us clarity as we pray for you to clear the skies of that Canadian wildfire stuff that you would give us clarity of mind, clarity of spirit. Give us your eyes to see things hidden. And, uh, and then when we leave here, let us apply it to our life in a way that will impact the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Okay, freedom in Christ. You know, before, before we talk about freedom, I want to mention something that came up in a, in a conversation concerning the will of God. Uh, a lot of Christians spend a lot of time wondering, what is God's will for my life, right? Obviously, a lot of people wonder, because there's been a lot of books written, hundreds, maybe thousands of books, discovering God's will for your life. And it seems people that are new to the faith seem to be more interested, more vocal about this than some of the more mature, seasoned Christians. And I used to hear it a lot during my years in youth ministry, young teenagers said, Bob, I wish, I wish I knew what God's will is for my life because I'm getting ready to graduate. I got big decisions to make. I don't want to screw them up. Should I go to college? And if so, what college? Should I get a job maybe, enter the workforce instead? And if so, where should I work? Should I join the military? And if so, which branch of the military? Should I go out with that person? Should I go to that party? Should I hang out with these people? Should I marry that person? And the should I this, should I that, go on and on and on. And I would tell these teenagers, I said, I know, I know what God's will is for your life. And they'd like, really? You know, really? And I said, yeah. Well, come on, tell me. And I would say, God's will for your life is to live a life of holiness, purity, and obedience to Christ. And I would just get these blank stares. And this one girl, this 17-year-old girl, 
She said, no, Bob, you, you don't understand. I mean, what is God's will for my life? <laughs> Not your life. What's God's will for my life? Because holiness, purity, obedience sounds pretty boring to most teenagers. And as we look around at the world today, apparently holiness, purity, and obedience to Christ sounds pretty boring to a lot of adults as well. <laughs> the students in, in that youth group I was leading like most teenagers, they wanted excitement, they wanted adventure, they wanted life-changing experiences and encounters and, and great stories to impress their friends with. And I said, well, listen, if, if you will purpose in your hearts and really pursue a life of holiness, purity, and obedience to Christ, there's no telling what adventures and encounters God will open up for you. I told them, and I'm telling us this morning, remember, God is the one who can do immeasurably more than all we could ask for or imagine. Think of that. Immeasurably more than all we could ask for. I could ask for a lot. Or imagine, man, we can imagine some things that are way out there. And God can do immeasurably more than all of it. It's so more, we can't even measure it. So we need to remember that verse, no matter how old we are. And people say, well, I know what I want to do, but what does God want me to do? Well, the Bible says if we will delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll do what? Give us the desires of our hearts. And man, when I was a new Christian and started reading the Bible and I read that verse, I said, wow, listen to this. I used to think it meant that the Lord will give me whatever my little heart desires good or bad, holy, unholy, whatever it was, you name it, you got it. I lacked so much understanding of the scriptures back then. I still do, but I've learned a few things. And I learned that's not what that verse means. Do you notice what comes first in that promise? There's a command to delight ourselves. How? In the Lord. Not in the world. Delight yourself in the Lord first. That's the key. And then... He will put his desires for us in our hearts. And then his desires will be our desires. And they'll be the desires of our heart because he put them in there. I hope that makes sense. The key is, is seeking and pursuing and delighting ourselves in him, not the world. Let's face it, the Lord has a lot to delight ourselves in. And I'm not saying we can't have fun. You know, I'm just saying be careful. It doesn't fall into self-indulgence and sin and self focus and all that. But too many of us are interested in delighting ourselves in the world instead of in the Lord. And when we're pursuing the desires of God's heart, we won't have to ask all these questions. What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? We won't have to ask, what do I run to? What do I flee from? What do I pick up? What do I put down and not pick up again? We won't have to ask or wonder about these things. We'll know. If we're pursuing God, we'll know what his will is in these things. Speaking of God's will, look at, look at this passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18. Paul writes, always be joyful. You hear that? Always. It's not easy to do. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This passage tells us God's will for our lives. 
to be people of joy, to be people of prayer, to be people of thanksgiving. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. So rejoice. Don't be complain so much. Rejoice. Pray. Give thanks. Are we having difficulty in any of these three areas? I think, would the people who know us the best describe us, describe me, describe you as a joyful person, as a praying person, as a thankful person? And if not, why not? What's in the way? What's, what's holding you back? What's holding you down? What's, what's preventing us from being joyful, for being prayerful, for being thankful? It's God's will for us to be joyful, praying, thankful people. You want to know something else that's God's will for us? To walk in the freedom that Christ has already given us. That's what we were singing about. So let's look at Galatians, the, the, the letter Paul wrote to the Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not will, has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be what? Be burdened again. Be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It sounds like we were burdened by a yoke of slavery, some type of bondage to sin, before he set us free. Right? Otherwise he wouldn't have to set us free from it. And this verse is just a clear and refreshing statement of Christ's will for our lives. Instead of fretting over all that, should I do this, should I do that? We need to focus on the clear statements of the scriptures regarding God's will for us. Some of this stuff's not a mystery. It's very plain, just like the verse where he says, be holy for I'm holy. How do you misinterpret that? Well, here, here's a clear one. God's word clearly tells us it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, not will, set, has set us free. He's already done it. He did it when he went to the cross for you and for me. And his will for our lives is that we will live in and walk in and enjoy freedom and that we stand firm in that freedom. It's a clear command. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, so we have a responsibility in that, right? He's saying don't let yourselves be burdened again. Jesus came to set the captives free, right? That's what the Bible says. Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. But we know there's a lot of God's children who are not walking in freedom. They're still bound up. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound up with ropes before they got tossed in that furnace. There are people who are bound up like that. They're still in bondage, still in some sort of slavery. And Jesus already paid the price to set us free from all of that. He died once for all that includes you that includes me once for all he doesn't have to come back and do it again when he said it is finished that's exactly what he meant it is finished your debt and my debt was paid in full there was no balance due not like well that's good enough for now no it was paid in full our freedom has been paid for in full and yet there's a lot of people still not walking in that freedom how come how come some Christians choose to be weighed down again, burdened again by a yoke of slavery? It's like that verse that says, like a dog returning to its vomit. You know, you're free of that stuff. Don't go back there. Now, a common sight back in Apostle Paul's day was to see a farmer with oxen harnessed 
by a big yoke. Whether they're plowing a field or, or pulling a, a cart that was heavy laden. And, and these oxen were straining to pull this burden of a load. So the Galatians knew about yokes. So Paul's using the word yoke here to refer to the yoke of the law. And it's crushing weight, which is the obligation to try to obey the whole law. The yoke of the law is the yoke of slavery. And Paul warns against it because it places us under a burden of added laws and commandments none of us can keep. But thank God. I mean, thank God uh, that he sent his son Jesus to lift that heavy yoke from our shoulders and take it uh, upon himself and take it all the way to the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus. We couldn't carry it. We couldn't, we couldn't hold up under the weight of that. It's not on the screen, but Paul tells the Galatians, and he tells us this morning, that God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. It's part of your, our inheritance as sons and daughters of, of God, right? We have all the rights and privileges. When, when somebody adopts a child, like Scott and Maureen adopted Heather, Heather has all the rights and privileges of the Flaherty household. It's not like, well, this is for me and my wife, but you don't get this. This, this is it. See, our inheritance is, is as sons and daughters of God. We get to share in the inheritance that Jesus shares in. It's an incredible concept, but it's true. Full rights, all the rights and privileges and benefits of being a child of God. That's our inheritance. We're his children, right? We're not orphans. Now, if, you, if you've never asked Jesus in your life, if you never asked him to forgive you of your sin and, and become your savior, if you've never done that, then sorry, you're still an orphan. You're still on the outside looking in, but you can change all that this morning before you leave. If, if, if you're not sure, we need to talk. Now, since Jesus has already set us free from this yoke of slavery, we must not, I repeat, we must not take it back on ourselves again, right? Why would we do that? I don't know. But some have, and they need to be set free from it or walk into freedom they already received. Now, in contrast to this yoke of slavery under the law, Jesus tells us his yoke is easy. His burden is light, right? When we get yoked up with Jesus, it's not that heavy burden that the law puts on us. See, if we take upon ourselves the yoke of the law and we're trying to use it to achieve our own righteousness before God, then we've submitted to a yoke of slavery. And we're not standing in that freedom for which Jesus already freed us for. I hope that makes sense. This Christian life is, is supposed to be a life of freedom because it's lived in the power of the Spirit, not the law. Look what Paul tells us and tells the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Let me ask you this one question. He's wondering, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? All right. 
It's not on the screen, but Paul, he goes on and it says, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard about Jesus? Let's put these verses into the context that they were written in. Now, the word is most certainly for all of us today. It's alive and active. So this word is definitely for us today. But there was a group of people called the Judaizers, Jewish Christians who, who believed that Gentiles, the non-Jews, who converted to Christianity must abide by certain Old Testament practices, including circumcision. In fact, these Judaizers were convincing the Galatians, these new Christian Galatian believers, that now that they were saved, they had to be circumcised and follow the law. And when the Apostle Paul heard about this, he wrote the church in Galatia this letter that we call the Book of Galatians. And this book, it's a strong defense of the New Testament truth that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? It's not Jesus plus or Jesus in addition to, it's Jesus. We don't do good works to be saved, right? But we do good works because we are saved. Paul said that if our righteousness could be gained by following the law, then Christ died for nothing. And we know that's not true. No one can be justified by observing the law. Nobody can be justified by doing good works. It's only by faith in Christ. Yet sometimes we still get that feeling that somehow we got to do something, right? Do something to earn or deserve God's grace. That's a lie. We, it, it's, it's hard for us to believe, but... It, we don't have to earn it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But it's a gift. You might think, well, isn't it a good thing, though, to, to obey the laws and, and obey the commands of God? Doesn't Scripture command us to obey them? As, yes, absolutely. I'm not saying disobey that. God calls every one of us to obedience and good works. But the danger of believing like the Judaizers is because people can be deceived into believing that through their own righteousness, their own good works, they can earn or they can deserve God's free gift of salvation. But our salvation is all of him, none of us. We need to believe to receive, right? It's not based on human religion. It's all about divine personal relationship. Religion attempts to work from the outside in, right? Think about it outside in, trying to modify behavior and sinful tendencies by observing certain rules and regulations, figuring that's going to change me on the inside. Problem with that is, it doesn't work. Not for long. I know, I tried, and I failed more than once. Maybe you've turned the same thing. Because you begin to use your good works as a substitute for genuine faith rather than seeing that our good works are a byproduct of our faith. Christ set us free from religion so we could enjoy the freedom of intimate relationship with him. Let's enjoy that, okay? We're free to really enjoy that. That freedom is ours because of the accomplishments of Christ's death and resurrection. He set us free. We haven't liberated ourselves by our own efforts. We're not able to do that. But now that freedom has been given to us by Christ, now it becomes our responsibility. 
It, it would be like a prisoner who is suddenly surprised to find out he's been pardoned and set free. He did nothing to accomplish this. He wasn't even aware it was happening, but there he stands, outside the prison walls, a free man. Now it's his responsibility to live like a free man. Now that freedom has been given to you and me by Christ, it's our responsibility to live that way, to live as free men and women, right? Christ has set us free from some things, but he's also set us free for some things. He set us free from sin, from death, from the law. He set us free from the need to try to earn God's favor by our good works. But he also set us free for doing what's right and honoring to God and to live a godly life of holiness, purity, and obedience to Christ. And some of us may wonder, well, if the grace of God given in Christ is a free gift, and it is, and if our salvation given through Christ is a free gift, it is, then people won't have any real motivation to live a godly life if it's, if it's all freebies. What's going to keep them from sinning all they want? Won't they abuse this freedom? Good question. And we can see, by the way, some people are, are living their lives today that, yeah, people are abusing their freedom. But the biblical answer, not the worldly answer, but the biblical answer to that question is in Galatians in chapter 5. Look at verse 13. Galatians 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. To serve one another in love. See, we're not just talking about casual or convenient serving when, it, when it's convenient. We're talking about committed, consistent, self-sacrificing servanthood. Same thing we've seen in the self-sacrificing servanthood of Jesus. But Paul's intention here in, in verse 13 calls us to a mutual servanthood. This isn't just a one-way street. See, if I'm committed to serving you sacrificially, but you're not committed to serving me back in the same way, then at some point you probably take advantage of me. Well, Bob will do it for me. I don't have to do anything for him, but he'll do it for me. That's not what Paul is intending here. But if I'm committed to serving you sacrificially and you're committed to serving me in the same way, then there won't be any danger of abuse or manipulation or taking advantage of one another, right? We're told to serve one another in love. Not begrudgingly, not, well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go do it. In love. It's all about love, folks. See, love not only enables me to serve you and enable you to serve me, but it, it, it controls the nature of our servanthood. Christ has set us free to serve each other in love and then together to serve the world around us in love. Whether it's putting a well in Africa, sewing dresses and sending them to an orphanage in India, collecting new shoes and socks for orphan souls, filling baby bottles with spare change, handing out free hot dogs and cold drinks, setting up a prayer tent at the block party, or just getting together and having coffee. Whatever love motivates us to do, to serve others. So let's not use our freedom to indulge the selfish, sinful nature. 
right? Well, I got freedom to do this. I got freedom to do that. It's all about me. Let's use our freedom to serve one another in love, amen? And how do we do that effectively? Well, we find the answer in, in Galatians 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. This is ongoing internal battle going on all the time. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Right? Live by the Spirit. That, that's the key. Like the song was saying, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So the key to not abusing the freedom we've been given by Christ is to live by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. So we need to pray. I'm willing to pray for anyone who's still struggling with standing firm in their freedom that they've already received in Christ. Or we need to pray for anyone who's abusing their freedom or anyone who's burdened again by a yoke of slavery, whether it's you or a loved one or somebody you know. We need to pray. But let's remember before we leave here, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? Don't go back to that that old yoke of slavery. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Spirit of the Lord is here right now. So freedom is here right now. Like right now. For whoever wants it. For whoever needs it. Come and get free. Be joyful again. Amen? Let's pray. Please stand with me for closing prayer. If you want prayer for anything or somebody you want prayer for, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come in here and pray together and you hear us and we read these scriptures on freedom and we, we see how we have abused freedom and how some people who think they're living in freedom and liberty are actually in bondage. They've been deceived and what they think is free, they're free to do, is actually uh, they're a slave to a sin so, Lord, as, as people of faith, let, let us not be quick to judge. Let us be mindful that you forgave us, that you saw us, you extended grace and mercy to us, and you expect us to do the same for those we don't agree with, those who, who live a different lifestyle than we live, those who are really um, opposed to your principles. Your word says it's your kindness that leads to repentance. So we pray that there will be a, an outpouring of, of your kindness to people who are hurt, people who are angry, people who, who feel they've been marginalized, people who feel that uh, they're unloved. So, Lord, we just pray against all the confusion that's taking place in people with gender issues and, and just what's right and... Uh, defining marriage and defining all these other things, Lord. We, we've gone off the rails as a nation. And I pray that you draw us back. Holy Spirit, you draw us back. Let love, we're talking about freedom today. Let love be the magnet that draws us back to that freedom you paid a, a, a healthy price for. And, and we don't want to be bound and walking in, in some kind of bondage to something that this world's got us hook, line, and sinker on. Lord, break us free from that. Reveal the deception 
Break off that Haman spirit of deception on anyone. Break it off. Break off that Jezebel spirit. Uh, in the name of Jesus, come and set us free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You already paid the price. You already did all the dirty work. You already did the heavy lifting. You took that yoke off of us and took it on yourself for our sake to be free. Give us a greater revelation of what it, what it looks like, what it, what it means to, to have freedom in Christ, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.